Welcome to Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions with hosts Shannon Reynolds of Visionary Creative Concepts and Branding and Jared L. White, the man behind the creative brand Tim K. Unlimited. Together, they are the co-creators of the Not Your Enemy Collections. The Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions are a forum to continue conversations amongst Black artists, creatives, and cultivators. We are excited for you to join our conversation. This is Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of the Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. I'm your boy, Jared, here with my partner in crime, boss lady, ex-wife, Shannon Reynolds. How are you? Hey, how are you? Happy, happy day today. I haven't thrown that in there for a while. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, it is a glorious spring day. I'm so happy that the sun is finally out and it's some warmth in the air. Um, we have a great episode for you guys today. I'm so excited. You know, you know, the Notch Enemy Speak Out session has been created for a platform to give Black creators, Black entrepreneurs, Black visionaries a safe space to talk. But it's also about having timely and general and thoughtful conversations. And I have such an amazing person here today. My, He's become such a close friend of mine for like two or three years now, Kevin Abolano. He, in my opinion, in, in a lot of people's opinion, he is like the fashion and branding guru in my eyes. He has helped me bring my style aesthetic um, to the next level. Um, he also helped me out with my uh, outfit of the day uh, session last year. Um, Kevin, welcome so much to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I'm very happy with, you know, the weather. And, you know, even though I'd rather it be cooler than walking <laughs> outside, um, I'm excited that it's getting short season, I guess, mm-hmm. and or sundress yeah. season, whatever you want to call it. I'm all about it. <laughs> you can't wait to see you in that sundress. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, so Kevin, we start off every Not Your Enemy session with this one particular question. And as a person of color, how has the current social climate impacted you? In a lot of ways, I feel like. I think I, uh, to kind of start off, I I identify as a queer Filipino American. Um, I come from Washington, D.C., and I have a lot of history when it comes to advocacy and um, this kind of work that is kind of being pushed out currently. Um, I think the current social climate is, there's a lot of awakening happening currently. And I think it's beautiful to see and it's beautiful to watch. Um, but I think what's we're, what we're realizing is, for me, is this need to express, um, this need to want to understand our feelings in this moment. And I think we're afforded this concept because of social media and concept uh, and because of um, everything we currently have to be like, this is what how I feel. Um, and then with that comes a lot. I think for me, I get really flustered because I feel like people don't know what to do next. And so current social climate, I'm very in a space where I, I love what's happening, but I also hope that we can step into more and that for me personally, I don't want to be constantly set up in my feelings and my emotions when it comes to creating structure and change that I feel like we've needed for a really long time. 
Now, talk to talk to us more about that concept of feeling, because you and I have had this conversation so many times, and and you have coached me into actually feeling more. Like you've helped to see, you've helped me see myself in so many different lights, and have real conversations with myself about who I am. And I've only been able to do that because I've been able to feel. So, talk to us more about that, and and how does that affect your day to day, or just like you said, where we are now, where we at now? Yeah, I mean, I think feeling is the first step to everything, right? I think. What a lot of the times we tend to do is either we feel the feeling or we run away from it. We spend a lot of time not understanding what we actually, what these feelings mean. Cause they don't necessarily mean this is, the feeling is the truth, right? Like what you're sitting in right now, you may be angry and that's okay. What does that mean at the end of the day when you're dealing with the current situation and the current state that you're in? And how do you become um, more self-aware to change that feeling or constantly change that emotion, or if it's something that's constant, how do you step away either to progress or um, to decide to step back? I think a lot of the times what happens with feeling is that we like to sit there. And I I am a feelings person. I love to sit in my feelings sometimes, but I do it with intention. And I make sure people understand that if I'm feeling something, it's because I need to understand what is happening to me, why, why do I react the way that I that I do? And is it going to be progressive for me to continue moving forward? Or do I need to take a step back and be like, this isn't for me. I'm not okay. And I need to realize what feeling essentially ends up becoming my truth. So I think with feeling comes your circumstances and then how you deal with those circumstances and then kind of creating a truth that you feel in that moment for what for whatever occurred. Wow. So that's crazy because I feel like you talking about feelings and me and Jared have had this conversation. Like we have an overwhelming amount of feel, amount of feelings <laughs> yeah, understand. and we, you know, sometimes we don't know what to do with it. And I realize like I've had a lot of feelings over the years that have been suppressed or just kind of like, okay, it is what it is, but you never really deal with them. And a lot of it stems from the talks and the experiences of racism. Yeah. You know, that's where we are in the social climate. So how has that, like, racism played a role in your life specifically? Um, going back again, I grew up in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, from my my perspective, I grew up in a very diverse um, part of Maryland and 10 minutes outside of D.C. Um, there was a lot of things that I think I was afforded that most people don't get to experience. Um, my high school was, like, 152 countries represented within the whole school. Um, And when it comes to race and racism for me personally, I think I learned really quickly that the world that I lived in isn't reflected in everywhere I go. Um, Like my neighbors were black. I had a Jewish and Asian neighbor. um, And my, the kids around me were all kids of color. And then when I would watch TV, it didn't make sense because they were all white. Okay. Um, so when I realized that I, we weren't actually the main characters in this, this scene that we're trying to play, um, I was like, then where do we fit? Because even though media isn't the do all and tell all, it does inform people how to move and it does inform people how they see themselves sometimes. So being um, Filipino American or some would say Asian American. And the reason why I do the distinction is because I don't experience the same things that other Asian people do experience. 
whether it's Chinese American, whether you're Japanese American, um, I have a more nuanced conversation and realizing that my, honestly, from what I know, my experience is usually invisible. Um, mm. And in the world that we walk into, I know when I walk into spaces, I either have to choose a binary um, experience, which is either white or black. Um, and historically, because everyone around me has been a person of color, I have always decided to understand this world from uh, from this black experience, just because those are the people that I grew up with. Those are the people that I understood. And those are the people that I lived with. Um, were, were we middle income? Absolutely. And so there was the, that other privilege there too. But when it comes to race, a lot of the times it is this own thing that I think is a more nuanced conversation than I think we want to realize mm -hmm. um, because it isn't black and white when it gets down to it. And your experience uh, identity-wise coming from either whether you're low income, middle income, or wherever your ethnicity is, there is a more uh, challenging conversation there and how to deal with the historical context of colonialism and historical context of just like this country in general. Growing up in the environment that you have, have you felt that support from other uh, uh, cultures, you know, wanting to take that time out to get to know who Kevin is and where he's from? Because I feel like you've done your due diligence in a way, but has people done that for you? Um, I I think it's a, it's something where you kind of like, this is what it is, right? You're like, I'm Filipino, whatever that means, whether it's food, whether it's language, whether it's however you can experience it in the time frame instead of just understanding that you are a human being. Um, I think people, my experience and my identity, um, I don't think I fully understand it. And here's why that kind of comes into play being uh, where I'm from is because the Philippines has been colonized for many centuries. And there's a nuanced conversation there where we have been this duality where we kind of live in this Western, um, we idolize the West to an extent to a disadvantage point where we uh, see the world in a white gaze. Um, and we see the world in a way that we want to profit in the proximity to whiteness because that's what that's all we know. And that's, that's who's conquered us. So who's conquered us is the one who's given us all these things, right? Um, despite having our own culture before and our own ideas before, um, there is this concept where I have to kind of dig back and be like, how much of this is actually there before we were kind of stripped of our um, language and stripped of our the things that we said we we were and then put in place in order to um, appease the Spanish colonialists. Um, and so my identity for myself is very complicated because I think I'm still trying to find it. If I could take my the time to actually go down and like get all the information from my family, which to be honest with you, they don't really talk about it because I don't think they understand it. Or there's a lot of trauma that hasn't been unpacked there that we kind of are like, we're American now. So let's just go with that. But when it looks at down to the ethnicities that are in the Philippines, and then I have like four different intersections coming that way, what does that culture look like? And what does that mean? Um, when it comes down to like traditions and traditions that we've forgotten because uh, we decided that we wanted to be Catholics or we decided because we wanted to move to America and be like, 
this is our new place, this is our new tradition, this is what this means. But there's a whole history that I don't know about. And there's a whole world that I don't have a connection to because you can say when you come to America, you're American. But at the end of the day, when you are technically a person of color, you're not seen that way. Right. Right. Wow. I think it's interesting because I think we talked about this, Jared, like the lineage and the history and the things that some people take for granted and knowing a lot of people of color don't have that, like carte blanche don't have that, that luxury to say, like, I know where I'm from. I know my bloodline. You know, I know everything that's in me because that was robbed. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder, I guess my question, my next question is like, you talked about kind of the ideal of like, um, adapting to, I don't know, you didn't say it this way, but adapting to whiteness. No. That was like your, yes, like sir. the pedestal. I feel like for in general, like they are like white people are the pedestal of perfection, of superiority, of power. Is that something that you kind of always grew up feeling or like, I don't want to, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but looking towards as the, you know, as like, that's where I want to be. And yes, I know exactly what you're saying. No. And I think the reason why is because of how I grew up. Like I grew up right. in a diverse neighborhood, but right. I think the problem with that was that you then saw the media play it in a different way. And then it wasn't connecting in my head. So there's this like kid who like loved nineties R and B and hip hop, but then like the world, when you turn on MTV, it's like right. Britney Spears and in sync. And it's like all these things where you're like, wait, but that's not what I'm listening to in the car. Or that's not the CDs my sister has. Or that's not the vinyls that we carry. Um, so it's like, how do I maintain this identity with trying, like, it's constantly kind of battling um, whiteness because you're like, oh, like, I don't, whiteness isn't really in proximity to me. And I think being Filipino specifically, my parents, what they did was we're like, we're just going to work hard. We're going to do what we have to do. And that's a lot of, uh, from my, from what I understand is a lot of Asian American experiences, like work hard, put your head down, don't rock the boat, continue to push forward. Um, and if you do decide to rock the boat, make sure you do, you like, you know what you're talking about, you know what you're saying, but a lot of times you can't, you're not afforded that because right. you're not really allowed to feel in that space. Right. And um, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I just, um, you touched on a couple of things. We too, we were talking about the generations before ours um, and why we didn't get that information. And when I did, I went to my one of my uncles and was like, well, why didn't you guys tell us about this? Why didn't you educate us? And his his father came through and he was like, we were too busy trying to raise you guys. We were too busy trying to make sure that you at least had some type of leg to stand on. Yes. And that put me in my place where I could understand, oh, this is a big, this is a much bigger issue because it's not even about identity at this point. It's about just trying to make sure that you guys can at least attempt to get us to a great place where we can move forward. You know, and I, I had to really I really have to put myself in my place because yeah. I'm like, oh, I understand now. I can understand. I get where you guys are coming from. At the end of the day, it's survival. Right. What a yeah. lot of people, especially come into this country or even experiencing from what my Black friends come into is like, we have this luxury of technology. We have this luxury of being able to speak what we what we think and what we feel currently. And that's led us to believe really internalize and introspect of like, who am I? Where do we come from? what does this mean when I stand here and I look at all these people's rich history 
And I don't know what mine is because I haven't been told it. I don't know. My family, it's not that my family doesn't want to know it. It's just that they've been spending so much time trying to like, let us make it through to the next year and let's get it done. And we do have a privilege right now where we can be like, oh, this is who I am. I can identify myself and you're not going to take that away from me. But they never really, really afforded that. And there's a lot of trauma there that I even know that I talked to my mom about, that I talked to my um, my sisters about, that it's just like, what does it mean for us to sit here right now? Am I appreciative of everything that we've gone through? Absolutely. But I want to still know the story. I want to document it. I want to understand it. And um, I lost my grandparents majority of 2018. So I think that's when I was kind of coming into terms with what it meant to like lose these figures that you've had for your whole life and thinking about like now that they're gone wait what is their story wait what is it because not because you're not you're kind of stopped and you're like I know what my story is up to now but I also want to know what's behind that what's beyond that and it's kind of hard to figure that out when people haven't healed from the trauma that they have been inflicted upon for generations. Tell us the history behind your Instagram name because that your Instagram name is pretty significant. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I go by Izzy Corazon as uh, as my as my creator name um, because it is to honor the maternal figures in my life. I was raised by two amazing women um, because they, in our family, our grandmothers are our backbones. They're even though like you know women are considered to be like the caregivers and all this type of stuff and all this, they were the also reinforcers. They were the people that um, like, they would make sure you were doing the right thing, but they also sometimes because of survival had to be cold because they couldn't really show emotions because that was weak for them. But they held down our family for so long and made sure that everyone was fed. Um, so Izzy comes from Isabel Abolano and then Corazon comes from Corazon Queteoriano. Um, and those are both an honor to my my grandmothers and hoping that I can put in enough work that they can see themselves when they kind of look back into this planet, if that's ever a thing, you know? You're doing an amazing job. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, so going back to, I think we kind of touched upon it a little bit, but how do you feel about now we're going to get into current yeah that's... current topics but <laughs> um how do you feel about the media's portrayal or coverage of the crimes against asian americans and honestly we could just say all people of color because it's it's been <laughs> rough right um well again like i said my experience usually is considered invisible for the most part right so for a lot of asian americans across the board this idea of being seen and being heard kind of doesn't they they don't really understand what that means so what you're seeing right now especially via like instagram what you're seeing via twitter because of the way that the media has covered everything that's going on you're getting this influx of i am feeling unheard i am feeling like i'm not wanted i'm feeling um like no one gives a fuck about me sorry um but, <laughs> but like no one cares about my experience no one cares about these people that look like me and what does that mean and I think for a lot of Asian people it's an awakening to understanding that your proximity to whiteness doesn't keep you safe 
Um, so this misplacement of feelings comes in a way that gets directed towards people that it shouldn't be directed to because they're just feeling, right? And so when you see all this like controversy where we're calling um, the Atlanta shootings someone who's had a bad day um, instead of what it was, which is domestic terrorism, um, you discount us constantly. And then the conversation constantly gets divulged into, well, what can Black people do? And what can this do? When no one's having those real conversations of like, Asian Americans need their stories to be told and be able to have space and have opportunities to explain what their their stories are but we don't get afforded that but then we get people telling other people well this is what other people need to do when they haven't even divulged into understanding how they actually feel and then even learning the history of the violence against towards asian women or the violence towards um uh, just like asian people in general colonial wise or even just like the imperialistic ideals from china into other countries it's it's a such a big conversation of history and not knowing it that people are just like, wait, but I feel this so strongly. Cause you know what, we're in this space where we're being awoken to something and we're like, oh my God, like this is happening and this is affecting me. Is it sad that we're at the point where people feel like that human beings are just human, but it has to look like you in order for it to affect you? Yes. But a lot of people are doing the work in that realm and people are doing the things that they see. So I think with everything with the with media and how it portrays everything, it's more so taking out the context of feeling for a lot of people and being like, tell the stories, tell it for what it is. And then we can kind of organize and figure out what that means for us from that point forward. Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, it's really so hard to tell the story, tell it for what it is. You know, it, there's a common thread through all of this. It, it's the domestic terrorism. It is the white supremacy. It is the racism. It is a common thread. And for some reason, people, for some reason, people, I don't know why people want to not want to do it, but people do not want to just call it out and, and point that, hey, there's a common thread here. This this is the problem. We we've seen it, but no one wants to tell that story. And it's so baffling to me that it's just right in front of our faces, but no one wants to just call it out. Or down to the fact that like you want to blame everything else besides just like taking it for face value and understanding that this history is more than your what you're making it. And you're 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 gaslighting people to believe that this isn't what it actually is. And you sit there and you tell people that this isn't what you think it is because it it can't be and you're not allowed to feel it. But when people do feel it, then this misplacement and this distrust begins to create a divisive rhetoric or rhetoric and like really call make people feel like they ha they are against each other versus actually being just being a human being and feeling something where it's like, wow, this shit is rough. And I am sad and I am hurt and I'm angry, I'm scared. And then I think what needs to happen now is that people actually need to take those feelings and feel it. Once you're done feeling it, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take action? Are you going to join organizations? Are you going to be able to 
um, look at the people around you and empathize with their stories because you want people to empathize with yours. So how, how can you properly channel um, this emotion into work? And not everyone's built for this work, but how to properly understand and be self-aware that this work needs to get done and then these things need to change. Where do you, um, where do you, sorry, Shannon, where do you think someone should start with this work? You know, like how, where does, because there are a lot of people who, I'm sure a lot of people are feeling it now. And, mm-hmm. I, and I was at a position a few years ago where I had no idea what to do. And, and now we're here though. But for someone who is feeling it, doesn't know, like where do you think that they should start or how they should start? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with learning and unlearning. I think once you once you feel, you have to begin to l- want to learn more. You have to want to unlearn the things that you've been told that you feel safe in that is now no longer serving you. I think you need to understand where this comes from because a lot of people don't fully get where this aggression does come from or where this placement does because a lot of the history has been erased, right? Um, even if you look at, I believe it was like the 1970s in San Francisco when they were trying to... Um, gentrify San Francisco and especially in um, Chinatowns and little Manila towns, um, there was a shared space for a lot, all majority of people of color to come together and help um, push back against police who were trying to tear down a old hotel that was made mostly for elderly Asian people um, seeking refuge there. Um, And that history has been erased. But if you go down on YouTube, there's a full documentation of work, of the people that were doing the work, speaking on it and speaking about their experience and like what it requires. And I think if you fully go down the list, you'll see the solidarity work that actually is there too. Because I think what happens right now too is a lot of, um, there's a lot of blame of wanting to look at perpetrators and perpetrators of uh, these crimes, right? And when that happens, you're not actually understanding where the where the ideologies are come from. We're not understanding the ideation that um, all of this stems from this um, white narrative that white people are superior, so everyone else has to fight for the second spot. Um, and so when you're fighting for that second spot or just fighting to kind of be even seen as human, um, you'll kind of do whatever it takes. Or you'll you or you'll be complacent if you're sitting in a proper space, right? So it's learning what that what that history is, and learning that people haven't always been quiet. And when people aren't quiet and they try to shut us down, how do you rebound? What does that work continue to look like? What ha- like what even happened with the whole situation with Black Panthers and Yellow Peril and everything that kind of went on in that? Where did those people go? Are those activists still alive? Are they still talking? Do they have something else to say? And do we want to know what they have to say? Because we, for the most part, I don't know, we see the pictures, but do we know what people were saying at that time? Right. So. So many gems. So many, I have like so many things to say, but I'm going to try to make it succinct and quick. <laughs> but um, so I think that you are like spot on when it comes to, I think there's a lot of, um, like you know gaslighting but deflection and divisiveness that the media portrays especially when there's any type of like act of terror because that's what it is but I'm going to use an example of you had the 
incident at the grocery store, mm-hmm. right? Mass shooting. And you have incidents at these Asian business, Asian owned businesses, mass shooting. Mm-hmm. But you see so much more. You have the mornings of all of the victims and you have so much more coverage. It was a day and it's like, okay, well, we gave you your attention and now we're going to move on. And, you know, what are we going to do here? And I feel like it's a, a cyclical thing that the media does. And we mm-hmm. just, we get mad, but then we feel it. And then we're like, okay. And it's like, we're almost used to like kind of our story getting a little bit of light, a little bit of attention, and then it moseys on over and then it goes on to the next tragedy that maybe has a white person or another, you know what I mean? And it's it's disheartening because it's frustrating that the media hasn't changed at all, but we yeah. still are like, hey, let's, you know, we still watch it. We still entertain it, um, but the story hasn't changed. And that to me, I feel like, again, you're, like you said, it's we're, it's division where it doesn't need to be a division. There's no second spot. Like <laughs> there shouldn't be first spot. It should be like, hey, we all here. Right. Um, that sorry, I just had to get that out because I was no like, oh. this is what this is for. It's, it's about getting it out because it is it's it's disheartening and it's sickening what it has happened and will continue to happen in the, the the position that the media plays in our lives and the the games that they're playing with us and they, and it's sad that they don't real the media doesn't realize that we see it for what it is, you know, and I don't, I personally don't know what is it going to take, what's going to take for that to change. There's a whole lot of dismantling that needs to happen. And we really tri- we really have to burn everything down and build it back up again to really see some real change sometimes. And I think like, if that's the thing though, is like, how much are we willing to give up? Right. Right. Because are you really willing to give up the comfort of where we're at right now, where we're able to sit in our apartments right now, have this conversation? Are you willing to give up everything that's going on? Like, this comfort level that you have right now to dismantle the whole thing. And honestly, if you were to ask me right now, I'm not sure I can answer that. Exactly. (laughs) Right. I was like, what is, you know, but what does that mean? Like we, I feel like because there's been so many successful um, situations where there is division um, and discord, like there's not proper discord between the races and minorities and people of color, however you want to title it at this point, I feel like we don't know what yeah. that sacrifice is going to look like because it's so deeply rooted and ingrained in the core of everything that we are. It's like, how do you get out of that? Yes, burn it down. But like, what's that mean? And what does that look like afterwards? Yeah. I, I, trust me, I agree with you. I, I forgot. Um, I was, there was this author. He has this new book out. And he was he talks about how changing certain things is about maybe all black people need to move back down south again because they now have more power in those states to make those types of changes. But then one of the questions that came up from the audience was like, "Well, I'm 30 years old and I have I bought this home and I have this apartment here and I I don't know if I can move back down south." But like now we're like we're so comfortable now where we can't even do what needs to be done. But the sad part is that's what it really takes to like really get the ball moving and change the narrative again well when you when you've been to the point where you're comfortable right and you're like oh like now i've made it like according to what the american dream is i have bought the house i've done the things i have the career i have everything that i want but people are still dying outside so what does that mean are you and the thing about it is that we are individualistic society so are you willing to give up your individual goal because we've been told that capitalist capitalism is it that's all we know. That's all we do. And I, um, 
I was a journalism student. So now that I think about think, thinking about media and everything right. that comes about, I don't know if there was a place for us to actually discuss. Like we had bias talks, yeah. but what what actually happens when you're reporting a story that you don't know if you believe the headline? Mm-hmm. And they like I had, well, sorry, they never discussed that with y'all. I mean, they did, but it wasn't in depth. Right. Like it wasn't something that they would be, it would be like, it'd be like, well, like if you don't believe it, what do you do? Do you sacrifice the job? Because a lot of the times it was getting your foot in the door in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have a lot of friends who are currently news anchors and I kind of, now that I'm here, I'm like, I should reach out and be like, what happens when you don't believe in the story and you have to report it? You got to quit. I have, you know, we, <laughs> I mean, we had, we had Sydney on here. She talked about it like with uh, my best friend, because she was saying, she was like, it just got draining where you're sitting there as a, as she was a black woman and you're talking about Trayvon Martin and you're like, I don't want to do this no more. And I think that I was not um journalism, but basically media, multimedia, yeah. that was my major. So my whole thing is like, they teach you how to get yourself in the door. Again, you said it like the American dream is what everybody's taught. Like, there's not like, you're striving for that. And once you get that, it's like, okay, I'm I'm complete. What they teach you in school is, all right, how to get in the door, how to have the right resume, yeah. how to network, <laughs> you know, how to get up and, you know, move yourself up. It doesn't talk about, hey, if there's right. There was never a conversation about no racial anything. I had some sexism stuff like, hey, if you just get used to being a woman and maybe someone will talk to you in a way, but do this like we had a class about that she was a woman she's like you're gonna it's gonna happen but this is what you do but there was never a race conversation about what you do other than like you're gonna have to make a choice yeah i'm shocked that there was not not shocked but i'm yeah i'm shocked that there was no conversations in the media these departments to talk to teach you guys what to. i'm sure there is now (laughs) i think they should figure it out too yeah i don't know if there there is that space where you're actually able to like speak out and have a job you know what I mean because at the end of the day what they're teaching is how to be a good journalist which who defined that and who determined what that what a good journalist was and does that always include you in your stories and if it does is it the story that you won't tell and that's I think that's the most frustrating part is that we do get and we're getting an onslaught of black death daily um and it's one of those things where I mean, even when we let's talk, let's talk about this summer and what has happened, and almost like the bandwagoning that's kind of currently happening right now with the Asian community. It's like, but are we gonna glorify these deaths to the extent that we are? And but are we actually asking for change, or are we just wanting to remember the names and not actually expect change to happen? Right, because it's glorifying and it's agile. It's such a it's a weird conversation to have because yeah it's not a it's not black and white right and I think a lot of people expect it to be and we we are on social media and you're on TikTok and you're on these things and you're like no this is all the information and this is what it is but actually no if we actually break it down we're hurting people too and it, we're still hurting everyone we're re-traumatizing people every day and then how much of that are you willing to take before it breaks you down. And how much of that are you willing to do and sacrifice until you are mentally okay? And then does change happen from there? And I don't know. I really want to know, though, but I just don't know. 
I don't know who has the answers. <laughs> I mean, we, you know what I mean? It's like, this is such a great conversation. And I think I have, me and Jared had this conversation on different levels, different people. Like, I feel like everyone's just like, what well, now? Like, we mad, you know, we're like, what, ne- what now? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what's next? And I, I, I don't necessarily know if there's one, one answer or one thing. Um, if I can ask, what, what do you want right now, though? I'm tired. So, I mean, you know, like, do you know, like, I just, I, for me, the one thing I would like is acknowledgement that there's an issue because I think we're talking about it and it's like black lives matter and it's wrong or, you know, stop Asian hate or whatever the hashtag is. I think that media covers that. I think people talk about that, but then I go to work. We don't talk about it. There's no, there's no carte blanche saying this is, we acknowledge that we are the colonizers. We're going to go Black Panther status. We are, you know, we are the colonizers and we did this to each community. You know, we have uh, stepped on the backs of these communities to get where we are. You know, I feel like there needs to be a a real acknowledgement, not like, hey, slavery happened or we did this. Let's get over it. Let's move on. You guys just pull pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. I want real acknowledgement. That's what I would like because I don't think we can move forward without that. And I want my damn reparations. That's what I want. <laughs> I, that's what I want because well, that's yeah. what I was owed. Yeah. And that's what I want. I want real acknowledgement and I want real reparations. And I want people to start having real conversations about what's going on, period. Yeah. And and, that, and I, that's the only thing that, that really matters to me. And, and let's be real about the media. Let's talk about what the media is doing. And that's something that will never happen. But if we can just talk about what the media has been doing doing what is feeding us, what is feeding our children, then we can start to see some process and some change. But that's, of course, never going to happen. But I want my damn reparations. Yeah, your ancestors for reparations, because that was... Facts. Yeah, that, that's like, and then it's supposed to be divided by whatever. Yeah. However, that divides up, right? Yeah. And I think with media, it can change if we, like, these white people need to, like, the white people in charge need to go. Yeah. I think there have been a lot of things like even this, having this discussion and having being having able to do this amongst each other is its own source of media that needs to be represented a little bit more and a little further. But when that happens, how do you break it so that it's more widely accessible, more widely available? And then that conversation is more is there because I don't think I don't think that actually is happening. And then uh, when I so back in the day when I used to be an advocate, my really my big focus was media coverage in the, for the LGBT community, um, and that was one of the things that I was felt really strongly about, which is why I was in journalism school, um, and I was really into this thing because honestly, if you look at gay media and like all this type of stuff, and let, let's not even get into the lesbian part because lesbian media is like vastly underserved already (laughs) and it's just like but it's a proximity to whiteness and the only reason why a lot of lgbt things have been able to move forward is this proximity to whiteness um and that this narrative is affecting white people so they have a stance they they have the confidence they can take up the space and they can do the things because they operate in the system together um Uh and i spent a lot of the time feeling defeated in these spaces because they were predominantly white um, talking about marriage equality when kids are still in the street and LGBT trans youth were dying every day in DC 
being ho- and like homeless. Like, right. why are we talking about marriage equality when people when these kids are suffering? Um, and then okay, but let's and then I will be wrong because then that marriage equality did bring awareness to an extent, right? And now we we're seeing this new uh, nuanced conversation about LGBT people and how to represent them and all these type of things because oh these are people because of their proximity to whiteness but we're still not talking about this homelessness we're not still talking about these disenfranchised children um the uh, the trans youth that and trans people that get murdered constantly um and we still have to fight for that but it's one of those things where that that's that conversation unless it's affecting white people to the furthest extent that it can it doesn't get talked about and I had to step away um, because I felt crazy. I felt like I was, I was like, wait, what are we talking about? Like, why are we talking about this? And why is this such a big thing? And I had asked um, a woman from HRC about that. And she was like, you know, honestly, I agree with you, but this is a, this is a subject that we have at hand. And I think this is something that we can win. And I get it. Getting the small wins does create progress, but on the bigger scale of everything, we're not housing kids, we're not helping kids, we're just sitting there talking about it. And I was like tired of talking about it. When, if we're a nonprofit organization, can we use that nonprofit or whatever organization we're working towards, building those funds, creating a, a space for them, creating a space for these kids, where they, when they do go to shelters, they're not automatically attacked or feel like their lives are constantly in danger. Um, and then having to, you know, I mean, sex work is work, but having to succumb to dangerous methods of work that ultimately ends in a lot of kids' deaths. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a deep rabbit hole that it, it shouldn't be this way. Like, there's so much freaking money. Like, there's money. They're printing money out here. Like, there's money that's out here that can be put to business for things put to put to work for things that really matter. And it really just takes for, as Shannon, to Shannon's point, just some bit of acknowledgement that things Absolutely. are really fucked up. And these are the things that are fucked up. Like, I, I love someone to sit down. These are all the things that are yes. fucked up. We acknowledge it. We don't have a plan in place for it. We apologize for it, but we're going to work towards it. Like, I would love that. Yes. You know, because, like, things are just fucked up. And, like, let's just own that and let, then we can move forward. But there is, there's mm-hmm. just no conversation because if all that we're having is conversations, then what's the point? Right. Yeah. And and no generalizations. Because when I'm talking about acknowledgement, I'm talking about like I want a checklist. You know what I mean? I want like bullet points. Because you can generalize bullet it out. Yeah. Like I I don't I don't want nothing. I don't want any of that. Because like you said, like I think if it doesn't affect a white person, it's not deemed important. Right? And so it's just like let's talk like I hate saying this because I feel like it's a news, but like white supremacy. Yes. Like, what does it mean to you? I know what it means to me, but like, yeah. what does that mean to you in a sense of like, because I feel like that's the basis of everything we're talking about. Yeah. That's that common thread. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's really the concept that white people are the dominant race and that the, everything that goes into it has to serve them in some way or somehow. So when you move into this space or a country where it's predominantly uh, like a white state and people who believe in white supremacy, which white supremacy to me is ultimately you want to be in power. You, you, you want to preserve the race. You want to preserve this um, achievement moving forward to be white people only 
with a sprinkle of dazzle of like POC. And just because you can't ignore us to an extent. And it's just like, as long as you maintain in power and you maintain the way that goods are run and the way that money is run, then everything will be fine. Um, I was talking to somebody recently about white supremacy being this um, umbrella term that the conversation is more nuanced. And it is, the conversation is classist. The conversation is about elitism. It's, the conversation is about um, like gender. The conversation is about all these different things. But at the end of the day though, the concept of white supremacy is um, also goes down to like even Christian values, goes down to um, the way that we like cook steak. Like it's like, it's ingrained in how it's set up because they have decided the rules for so long to profit themselves that we haven't actually took ourselves out of it. And because it's profit, some of us to an extent, we're like, again, the comfortability thing, how much are we willing to sacrifice? But like, what happens when you when you need to make sure that everyone, whatever the seat at the table means, right? Um, when you get that, what do we do with that seat at the table? Are we changing policies? Or are we just grateful to be at the table because they invited us? Put that in dictionary. Put that in a dictionary, <laughs> like that whole summary, period. There we go. That's all. Yeah, I don't have, there's nothing else we can say about that because <laughs> that is it. And you're so right. Like, what do we do when we get that to that seat at the table? You know, and I think that that's, that's part of the work. You know, that's, that's been part of my work. If I'm, you know, being Black, being a person of color, it's order, you're automatically a political. It's right. what you, everything that you're doing, everything that I do, regardless of, and that's something that I had to come to terms with. You know, I people were like, well, Jared, why are you doing this? Well, why, what else am I supposed to be doing as a black man with with somewhat of a platform? Okay, how many followers I have? What else am I supposed to be doing in this time? But talking about this, I sit on Zooms with 50 white people. It is my job to not educate, but it's my job to stand in that my truth as a black man and be political about this. You know, mm -hmm. so it, it's really just like, what is everyone going to do? Because we are we have been given a not given we have worked hard for certain opportunities and we have to acknowledge that and we also have to acknowledge the fact that we have some responsibility to make sure that we're pulling up and kicking doors open and leaving them open for people that come before us and shaking shit up a little bit yeah um, um i agree sorry. and the thing about that is that like is being in spaces where you are able to have that conversation and be able to be like hey this isn't okay with me i'm not okay in this space and you can't tell me that I'm not, what I'm experiencing is not valid when I'm experiencing it, right? Right. Um, and I think a lot of the times coming and kind of to go back on the Asian American situation and like this, like wanting to um, deflect the situation to other minority groups, I think what happens here and the issue that happens a lot of the times is that um, Asian Americans also need to recognize the the anti-blackness that they uphold as well and understanding i think it was last year when we were dealing with the pandemic at first and we were talking about covid19 and i mean all of these attacks are starting to happen then right um and it's i i saw so many actors and people kind of coming forward and being like oh my god let's talk about this and like i was like let, racism in america cannot be talked about unless acknowledging the racism towards black people. And I, and I truly believe that. And I truly believe that there's no way you can talk about racism without acknowledging it. Are they different conversations? Absolutely. But the racism towards 
black people is the is the reason why we have microaggressions towards Asian people because if they don't want it to be as um, flat out and nuanced, they want it. They want you to feel like you have some control or some power, so that when you do feel your the the racism and you do get like the microaggressions towards you, you're like it's not as bad, so it's fine. I'll take it because I'm still I'm still able to. Um, be in a space, uh, space of power or have access to something that they're giving me without acknowledging that if the most vulnerable are still being um, kicked on, you are still vulnerable at the same time. And I think that was my biggest gripe during that whole time. And it still kind of is because I really, again, I I think I was angry and I was upset because I was like, I definitely was desensitized to a lot of Asian hate crimes to an extent because I was like, we can't talk about this unless we talk about what's happening to black people. But then understanding that some people actually have to wake up to it and that people have to actually realize like this affects them too. And then realize that they're not comfortable anymore and that they can't be comfortable in these spaces because it doesn't profit them anymore or it doesn't um, service them anymore. So what happens when that that rug is lifted under you and now you have to do the work and now you have to understand what's happening and um i just i think i hope one day that people realize that the work that a lot of asian americans have already done in these spaces even though i even for me they were invisible like a lot of um, asian american pacific islander work doesn't get talked about enough um there is resources there and there are things that you can go into. Granted, it's not as um, vast, but there are ways to kind of maneuver around it. And um, white supremacy as a whole is the ultimate, the, the ultimate evil, quote unquote, is what we want to say. But at the end of the day, it's really doing the work yourself and empathizing with each other as humans and knowing that we're in this together versus being something that you're not. And I think that that's its own situation. And acknowledging that that we're in this together, how can we support one another? Right. How can we? Um, what do you think? Like, what what is that? Like, what does that look like to you? Yeah, I mean, as of right now, I think if we talk about, um, if we are referencing Asian Americans, I think for them, it's letting them be able to take up space because historically they have not been able to. Um, letting them be able to take up space and talk about their experiences and again feel. Um, then. For that, it's really it's once you kind of acknowledge that with them, um, and understand that we have this uh, very, very complicated history where it's like we were accepted and then we were erased and then we were brought in in the 1965 after we realized like okay cool like black people are now free we're gonna not do Jim Jim Crow is gone and so we're gonna bring in all these Asian American or Asian people into the country now because now we've dealt with the issue but we're going to make the most profitable asian asians come in and so that they can look like they're doing well and all this type of stuff and come into these spaces um how that that rhetoric and that that how that device how that is divisive um and just i think a lot of the times now it's really let people take up space let people feel and then let them know and then kind of you kind of have to be i don't want to say you have to be gentle but you have to critique people. Be able to like let people know, like I understand and I acknowledge your experience. But what happens to what happens to yourself when you stop feeling? Are you able to move past it, or do we need to do the work, and do we need to understand what's happening to us historic, history wise? Um, 
And I think once that conversation can happen, a lot of your Asian American friends who are feeling so hard right now will then be like, okay, we're in this together. And I, I don't think they don't, they didn't feel that before, but it's more, um, they might have not felt it before, honestly, but it's more apparent now. It's right. more in their face. It does have a face that looks like them. Um, and they can actually have the conversation. Cause I think a lot of times I've had this conversation where I was like, I've never had to talk about my race before. And I'm like, that's interesting because as a Filipino American, I'm not really seen as Asian sometimes. I'm always seen as like the other. Um, so I think a lot of times when you think of Asian Americans, you're thinking of the big three, which is Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. And like, because of their dominant forces in history or like the, the historical context of, of those three countries specifically, um, the like, Cambo I like, honestly, do people know about like Cambodian experience? And do people know about people from like, um, like, do we like, even though Indian people are vast, do we really know their experience either? And it's like, that's its own conversation. And a lot of the times because they're darker toned, they're, they, we want to sit them a little bit more to the, to the back, not towards the front because they don't look like the proximity of the white ones. Mm. Which is its own conversation too. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> very, very. It's so sad. It's just sad. Yeah. I... <laughs> bad. But I do think there's a, there's there going to be a time and place where people are gonna once they're done feeling, and I hope it's quicker than it is currently. But I you can't rush that. You you have to understand this is a lifelong work, and this is something that takes generations to unfold. But if you can start here and start anything now is to heal from the generational trauma of colonialism, um, of slavery, of everything that's happening and deciding that this is no longer serving us and this doesn't make sense anymore. Um, and then making other people believe that and understanding that policy that needs to happen is either we destroy this motherfucker or we create systems in place. But Again, these systems in place are also meant to destroy you as well. Right. So I have one last question, and it's really a selfish question. No, no, no. Because my dream school was go to Howard. Like, that was my number one pick. <laughs> yes. So um, can you tell us about your experience? I mean, even talking about the proximity to whiteness, that is the polar opposite. So, like, how was your experience at a historically Black um, college or university? Um, it was beautiful. I mean, I think a lot of the time I, I so coming into an HBCU, I kind of knew what struggles I kind of had to deal with because I was queer. Right. Um, and with the concept of Christianity being a vast thing, we have a divinity school. So and it's it's one of the top divinity schools around. Um, I knew that I kind of had to play a certain role to an extent. And that I couldn't be as queer as I wanted to be out loud, but knowing that the experience that I had is was beautiful and that this is a place that I think everyone should be able to experience in the sense of what does blackness mean? What does what does it mean when you strip it away from because all of these kids come from so many different parts of the world. I was able to explore what Jack and Jill society was. I was able to understand and like be let in to a little bit not knowing the full that the the full experience that it was, but knowing that this this is something that people do need. They need to be um, 
they need to be around people that look like them that that have shared some same experiences and they need to understand where this comes from do people leave because they don't know if they can handle it absolutely um and it's one of those things where i think okay so i was sitting in our i think it was like one of our like freshman orientation classes that everyone failed because no one wants to wake up at 8 30 in the morning um but there was a guest speaker there and he was like um integration was the worst thing that has ever happened to black people in america and i had to sit there and i talk about this story a lot still even to my roommate who went to howard with me and i was like i felt uncomfortable and i was like integration like then what would that mean for me and then then I realized like what that actually meant was that there needs to be a progression and understanding of this experience that when you make people integrate into spaces um, and do these things where they are required to deal with people that hate them, but they still have to be in the same space together, it just burrows more hatred and more mm-hmm. secrecy of this hatred. Um, and knowing that my uncomfortability there was more so me not understanding this experience. Um, and so it was one of those things where it's helped me be a better ally across the board and be a better person and understanding the experience of um, just people. I think when you like, I think at the heart of it, people are so complicated and people are so like, your identity is what you think you have at the end of the day, but we kind of have the same struggles. So we want to pinpoint it towards an identity and it is valid. But when you feel the feelings and you don't know where to, where to go, um, it all comes down to wanting to be heard and wanting to be seen. And I think that's a space where people could be heard and seen and then feel empowered to move forward. Um, yeah. And I think that's the best thing about being at Howard. And that was the best thing for me was like, I got to experience love, what this love in a space was for a community that for a long, for a lot of these kids felt like they could, didn't have before um, an appreciation that they didn't have. Cause so a lot, from what I remember, a lot of the kids that I were friends with were like, I went to an all white school. I went to all Catholic school. And it's all these things where they're like, I've never been in a space with this many people that look like me. Mm-hmm. And I think, that's its own thing and that's its own beautiful thing where when people are like oh like you see me you you see what i look like and you see you you relate to it in some way and of course we're people so we're always gonna butt heads at some point but you're experiencing this with me and how how can we move forward together and how do we move past it how does its own culture i will say that (laughs) yes 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 Um, yes but it's beautiful in its own right and i will always cherish those days and um i didn't finish there but i love everyone that i've ever come in contact with um and i want every one of those everyone everyone that i've ever met through howard or everyone that i've built relationships at howard is that i'm still rooting for you and i hope that everything that you do comes to fruition and if it doesn't how can we get you there and how can we move forward and how do you want to see your world change in that way Kevin, I just love you because you're. <laughs> that's at the core. At the core, you always you are a person who just wants to see people win, and it's like, how can we get you to that next level? I, I just love you for that, um, Kevin. What are you working on? 
you know, because you and I have had conversations about your project. So what are you working on? Um, Right now I'm working on a short film um, and working on a, like, I don't know if I want to make it a dot, like a episode type of thing, but I'm working on this concept of male intimacy um, amongst men of color specifically um, and understanding what intimacy looks like between men and how that informs their relationships. Um, So it's really kind of depicting what people think intimacy is and do they have that with each other when as men, whether you're straight, gay, um, pansexual, bisexual, whatever you want to be. And if you have this intimacy and you can build upon this intimacy, how does that change your world? Like how, and I want to ultimately get to the point where how does that change how you treat women? Mm. How does that ultimately change how you treat other people around you? Because you are meant to feel like you're built up um, and you can't be, emotional and you can't be these people but like if you're able to be emotional with your best friend who's down the street and he's like bro I got you and or you're able to cry in front of him and then when it comes to having a relationship with somebody and being emotional and vulnerable it's not as scary as it used to be um I think we reserve a lot of emotions I think the binary is that we reserve a lot of um things for our partner right and we don't know how to deal with that because we've never been shown what that looks like. Right. And when we don't know what that looks like, how do you properly channel those emotions? And how do you properly make people feel comfortable to feel those emotions? And then what happens then? Like, I just want men to understand that they have all the power in the world to defeat this concept that they can be intimate with each other so that they can be better people, better humans, um and love better because i feel like men lack the idea of love sometimes or intimacy and it really hurts our society sometimes i want to watch that now (laughs) that is going well we'll have you back on the show because that i know that's something that you have been talking about and i can't wait to see that when that's all built out and fleshed out like i can't wait to hear that we're working on we're making it happen we already did one episode Oh, you did? We did one episode, but my, my, my mic was fucked up, so I have to buy a mic. So we're <laughs> <laughs> but I will be calling you anyways, because I think you're going to, you, I want you a part of it. Um, yeah. And it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to, it needs to happen. I want to see men of color express themselves. And I want, I especially want queer men of color to understand that, like, Wait, their gonna... intimacy is so beyond. It's like, it's beyond this. And it doesn't and We've to... had that conversation as to what that looks like and once again, what the media portrays that to be. And we need to have a real conversation about what being a queer man of color and what that intimacy actually is and or, or is not or what we yeah. want it to look like. It can be anything, right? Exactly. It can be whatever you want it to be. So stop putting yourself in this limit of this hole where you're like, this is only reserved for somebody else. But no, like it can be for whoever you want. And stop always running away also from intimacy because I think that's where we get this like open relationship situation. That's his own conversation. Another guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin, definitely want you back on this show. And Kevin, where can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram and Twitter at Izzy Corazon, I-Z-Y-K-O-R-A-Z-O-N. Um, that's where all I am right now. Um, otherwise... I'm trying to figure out what's next. Oh, I'm also on YouTube at Izzy Corazon because I just posted that video up. So that is there. Okay. Well, Izzy, Izzy, a.k.a. Kevin, thank you so much. I appreciate you. We love you so much for coming on the show. Um, Shannon, any last words? 
I just want to say I appreciate you guys for everything that you're doing. I'm excited for Not Your Enemy as a whole. I think you guys are doing such amazing work and you continue to do amazing things and wanting to continue the conversation to move forward. Um, so all the success and all the love and I really want um, anything that you guys need, don't be afraid to ask of creating something or making something happen. I'll be happy to like step in anywhere that I can. Oh, perfect. Because you know the outfits are coming back. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. ready. <laughs> but Shannon, we can do something with you this time too. Yes, maybe Shannon. I might come along. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll set it up. I'll send I'll, we'll send you clothes. Okay. There you go. There you go. Thank I you got this. all for joining us for another episode of the Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. Make sure you check us out on Instagram at the Not Your Enemy Brand. And make sure you check out our YouTube page, the Not Your Enemy Brand, and our website, the Not Your Enemy Um, This has been your boy, Jared, with my girl, Shannon. And we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at VisionaryCCB and who is Tim K. Interested in purchasing apparel? Visit VisionaryCCBStore.com. Until next time, step out, step in, and step up. <laughs>